some of what I wanted to start with today was that um, the point that God wants us to have success in life and um, in all spheres of life, you know. And it's like, obviously, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness and it is peace and it is joy. And to me, peace and joy is success in this life. It's something that everyone is so grasping for, that security, peace, and joy, the absence of fear, the absence, absence of depression and, and anxieties. Um, but the kingdom, that, that which is our inheritance, is the peace and joy of God. And we're called to exude it in such a way that people want what we have. We're called to have life uh, in abundance, Jesus said. We're called to have relationships that actually flourish and thrive. You know, and it's these are the, these are the things that God actually wants for us. Um, but what I want to talk about today, even, is that God actually is glorified when His people thrive. And the scripture we really led off with last week—it was the story we used—was that Second Chronicles sixteen nine, which I love that verse that says, "The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the entire earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to Him." And it's, and it's the replacement of this old misconception where people believe that the eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the entire earth to catch us making a mistake so he can slap us on the back of the head and get us back in line, which is really just a poison of the fall, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the reality is that his eyes are actually searching for those whose hearts are loyal to him, are linked up with him, those who are abiding in him, have singleness of vision, have his heart for the world, you know. And he's searching for those people because he wants to show himself strong on their behalf. And it's this beautiful thing. He wants, he wants to show himself strong on behalf of his people. He's glorified by the success and when his people thrive. It's always been this way. Um, people fall into the trap, I think, of thinking that Christianity is just about learning how to live a, maybe a clean life or be clean from their sins and, and go to heaven when they die, when it's actually about coming to the understanding that God's already made us clean. And, and he's already made us holy by no merit of our own. There's the whole grace message. And that we can come into agreement with that reality. And now we're actually called into the family business, which is manifesting heaven onto the earth. And um, it's, it's just this, it's a, maybe it's a paradigm shift, but it's, it's really not because it's ancient and it's old and it's always been there. Throughout the Old and the New Covenants and the Old, old Testament and the New Testament. And I was going to start off a little bit today with, with driving this point home before I go into a story that I think will jive with it, but it's John 15, and, and I'll start with uh, maybe th verses 3 to 5, and then 7 to 8, maybe 3 to 8, something in there. But it's Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you, which that's interesting in and of itself. You know, it's like there's, there's something like, He's telling this to his disciples before the cross, even though the cross, he had been crucified before the foundations of the earth. If you can wrap your mind around that eternal reality of the way God sees us and what he's paid for us to walk in. It's like we're already clean because of the word which he had spoken to us. And that's interesting. There's so many ways to look at that. But the way I look at that is, is, is Jesus saying something on the cross to the extent of forgive them, they don't know. And this is not the bipolar God, you know, the mean one that's punishing, the good one, the nice one, and, and Jesus pleading with the, with the savage God, please forgive them, don't, don't, don't destroy them. This is the full and complete agreement of the Father and the Son. This is the Word of God Himself declaring forgiveness over mankind 
because mankind doesn't know that they're in the wrong identity. And it's this beautiful thing. He's declaring this reality of forgiveness as he's bleeding out on our behalf, you know. Forgive them, they don't know. But it's, it goes on to say, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken. Therefore, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There we go with that word abide. I was one of those people, man, when it comes to like Christianese and you hear Christian words and stuff like that, a lot of times I didn't, I didn't really understand what's going on. Abide. I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm just abiding, brother. Amen. Glory, glory. You know, it's just one of those Christianese verses. You just agree not to understand, but pretend that you do, you know, but abide really just means to live and to dwell and to remain in something. It's something that you actually abide and remain in. And it's when Jesus is saying this, just you're actually already clean. It's like come into agreement and remain in this reality of what I've done on your behalf. It's like abide in me, live your life in me. We, we understand things like Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. You know, 2,000 years ago, I got the death penalty with him and it's no longer I who live. It's like I live inside of him now. Like I abide according to his righteousness, according to his forgiveness, according to his holiness. This has become my identity now and I'm choosing to have a renewed mind and walk this reality out in the here and now. And Jesus is saying this word abide so many times in this, in this John 15, and I really want to do it justice, but I'm not going to do much of it today. Um, but it's like he's drilling at home. Listen, you're already clean. Abide in me and I am in you. Because a branch can't bear fruit of itself unless you abide in me, neither can you. I'm the vine, you're the vine dressers. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Sounds like a really rude thing to say, but it's really not. It's like, hey, like, live your life in me. I am your true identity. You've taken on something that was never yours to take on. I've made a way for you to step into the reality of the son that you truly are. You can live this life and have the success inside of me. Without being inside of me, you're not actually your true self, and you can actually bear no fruit. Remember, God is actually glorified that we bear fruit and have success in this life. I'm not talking about money, but money does count. I'm talking about the righteousness, the peace, and the joy that we're called to have. That's true success in our relationships and our families, you know what I mean? In our life, in our workplace. All of these things are the aspects of the success that we're called to walk in. In, chapter, in verse 7 of, of chapter 15, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. I think people have tried to crack that formula for, for hundreds of years now. It's like, wait, there's a, some formula or ritual that we can ask whatever we want and get whatever we want. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, no, no, no. This doesn't really work like that. It's not a formula. It is a reality of this covenant, you know. It's, it's, it's having the renewed mind in such a way that we can live our lives in him. We're, we're in such agreement with his will and his heart that the things that we ask for are asked out of that place of agreement with heaven that they'll manifest in the earth. Like there's not a, there's not a drop of selfishness in the gospel. There's just none in it. You know what I mean? The king himself, you know. The elders are throwing their crowns around dancing in heaven, throwing their crowns on the ground at him. And, and he's submitting, you know, he's giving us 
He's taking on our crown, the crown of thorns, in order to give us his crown. I mean, to give us his throne, to give us all. You know, I mean, there's no selfishness in God. And when we abide in him, we start to live this way. We come into agreement with heaven, which causes it to manifest on the earth. Beautiful, yeah? Mm. I quit drinking coffee. So this isn't necessarily caffeine talking fast, you know, but I did have some tea this morning. Maybe it is. Listen. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. There's the hitter. See, those are red letters. You know what I mean? It's like you'll bear much fruit abiding in me, and my, the Father will be glorified in this reality. It's like, oh no, we're supposed to have poverty mentalities and be struggling through life. It's like, no. We're supposed to have peace and joy that transcends any situation. We're supposed to be a light unto this world. And by doing this, we give glory to God. Why? Because there's not, there's not a drop of selfishness in it. You know? This all points to the one whom we're living in. The good news of how we're living in him. You know? It's never about our own strength. You know? When you read this stuff, it's, like, it's so beautiful. It's, it's never about us. It's always about him. But we thrive in it. So it's totally about us because he's given us the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give it to us. I love in verse 16, this is not part of the message, but he said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Again, here it is, the abiding of God. It's not like, how do I get a, how do I get a new Bentley or, you know what I mean, a gold necklace. Or, you know, it's like what it's been made to be. It's like, hey, the success of the kingdom is being in such alignment with the mindset it's all about connection to him. To live in him and him in us is like this constant communion and communication of the Holy Spirit walking our lives in the family business, manifesting heaven everywhere that we go. And that word that, that your fruit should remain in verse 16, that word remain is abide. That your fruit should actually dwell. It's lasting. It's not seasonal like most farmers. You know what I mean? It's like you manifest this fruit on a constant basis. This is the su success that every Christian is called to fully walk in and manifest at all times. It's not seasonal. It's our new life. You know what I mean? We can live our lives telling people that they're going to go to hell when they die unless they join our club. And maybe that will scare them into joining our club. Right? And it seems to have worked in a lot. Of, but, but in reality... Jesus didn't do it this way. Yeah. You know, it's like that you bear much fruit that I'm in you and you in me. It's like he was one person. He said, it's better that I go away. Now he's everywhere inside of his family. To the degree that we're out of the way and we're in this selfless mentality of abiding in him, living in him, and seeing not ourselves, but seeing others. We have, what, we have the rivers of living water to release everywhere we go and we transform the world. To look like us? No, to look like the kingdom of heaven where we represent. The imagers of God, you know, the transparent glass casings of the lights that you see hanging in this place, that's us. The light on the inside, that's him, you know what I mean? Reflecting, manifesting him everywhere we go. People like, I don't want you, I want what you, but I do want you have. And the good news is, we didn't earn what we have. It's free for everyone, man. You know what I mean? Success, thriving, it comes from connection to him.
And that connection, that veil's been, been torn open for almost 2,000 years. You know, The good news is old news, but it's, uh, we're going back to the future. So, I, I, you know, let's see if this, let's see if I can make this work. I wanted to teach another chapter about a king this week. That was somewhat of an intro, but this won't be a long chapter because I'll kind of cliff notes this, okay? Um, but it's Second Chronicles 26 about a king named Uzziah. Because there's a famous passage of scripture, and I love doing the chapter in Isaiah 6, that this prophet Isaiah, when he was young, has this vision. And it says, in the days when, when King Uzziah died, I saw the glory of the Lord fill the temple. And it's this profound, mystical, panoramic, it almost sounds, you know, well, it's pretty wild in Isaiah 6 that he sees the glory of the Lord fill the temple. But these things were actually written for us to see. The glory of the temple was not a temple that was to come in a physical building. It was actually Christianity, what Isaiah was seeing for us. The glory of the Lord, the presence, the indwelling of God filling his temples, which are his people, you know. And so anyways, it's interesting. There's a little time stamp that Isaiah had this vision of King Uzziah. But this is actually the story of King Uzziah and how he died, which gives us a grid into the, to the view of this new covenant vision and what it means for us today for the here and now. So King Uzziah, um, he was only six years old when he became king. Like I said, I'll cliff notice this. This is Second Chronicles 26. I, I suggest you read it if you follow along. If you haven't read this one, you might not have. Um, but, but I think you'll, you'll dig it and, and you'll catch what I'm throwing here. So he becomes king when he was 16 years old and he reigned 52 years very you know a long time in Jerusalem his mother's name was you know Jechaliah and, and and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to his father but there's something about his life in verse 5 that I think is really really interesting it says he sought God in the days of Zechariah this is not Zechariah the prophet that wrote the book this is a different Zechariah but he's obviously a man of the Lord and it says about Zechariah, he, Zechariah had understanding of the visions of God. And as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So this is like the, this is like the, the title of Uzziah's life and a timestamp in one little verse from his birth to his death. But it says, you know, you know he became king at six, 16 years old. And he sought God all the days that Zechariah lived. So this is, this is like a prophetic man, maybe one of the prophets, but he was, he was like a spiritual mentor, overseer, spiritual uh, advisor to this young king. It doesn't say when he died, but almost all the commentaries you'll read will, like, will point kind of this out. It's like as long as he was in relationship with this guy who had understanding in the visions of God, he sought the Lord and God made him prosper. But there's also the contrary to that verse that makes you understand that when he was out of relationship with the one he was called to walk with, that wasn't always the case. But it's beautiful. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth for those whose hearts are loyal to him because he wants to display his strength on their behalf. It's this, brilliant, this brilliant understanding is happening in his life as long as he was seeking the kingdom and had this perspective and was in relationship, you know, fellowship here, he had this mentality that caused him to have success. It says, it goes on and it lists in 2 Chronicles 26 all these things that he actually did. And it, he went out and he made war against the Philistines. So he had a bunch of military conquests. 
Um, God helped him against the Philistines. Also, the Ammonites, you know, brought tribute to him. His fame spread out all over the land, all the way to Egypt. He built towers in Jerusalem, um, all the way at the corner gate. It kind of gives the things that he did. He built towers in the desert, dug many wells, had much livestock, farmers of Andres. I mean, it sounds like this guy was incredibly successful. Moreover, he had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies. So he was, he was taking land constantly. Um, the total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. So these are like Navy SEALs or something, you know, Green Berets. Uh, and under their authority was an army of 307,000. So he, he just had such incredible things. He even did stuff in what we would consider technology, or he had people under him during his time, um, that they had shields and spears and helmets, but he made devices. Some of the old translations will say machines. Um, um, that were invented by skillful men to be on towers in their corners, to shoot arrows and large stones. I don't know if that's like a catapult or something like that, you know. It, you know, it's, it's all these, these things that were ahead of their time. He secured the kingdom. There was technology advances. All these wonderful things happened, and we know why. Because as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So all these brilliant things, when he was in his connection to God happened around his life and through the world. It says this, though. He made devices um, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelous, marvelously helped till he became strong. And man, that's like, uh-oh. You know, you read something like that. He was marvelously helped. So it never said this was all in his strength. He was just a brilliant guy. You know what I mean? This actually takes us back to like Jesus saying like, he who abides in me will bear much fruit, but he who does not cannot do anything. It's like this, there's these notes in here that are written for us thousands of years ago to say, man, when his heart was kingdom first and his connection to God was his priority, he was marvelously helped. He had great success and everybody that was under him benefited from it. In verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26, it says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And it's like, wow, that's really interesting. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. So it's interesting. Sometimes we say this, me and my buddy, we always talk about, you know, the trials that people go through. And I've seen it forever. So many times trials cause people to come near to the Lord. I go, I need you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Help me. You know? But I think a bigger test often than trials is success. Me and Solomon both thought that. You know? it's there, there was something about success that causes people to get comfortable. You know? and, and, and in his life, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. It's, it's beautiful because Uzziah literally means the strength of the Lord or the Lord's strength. That's his name. It's like when he was living true to his identity, that his strength came from the Lord, what his name actually meant, strength in Yah. Um, when he lived according to that reality, in humility, in connection to God, in connection to the people, Zechariah, apparently, you know, who had understanding of the visions of God. It's a lot of trans, a lot of times translated, he had understanding of the fear of the Lord, which, you know, if you're here for a while, the fear of the Lord is the acknowledgement of God at all times. He had understanding of this Proverbs 3, 6, fear of the Lord, of like, in all your ways acknowledging the Lord. Because he, he had iron sharpening him. He had relationship. He had fellowship. But there's something to him getting out of relationship, getting out of alignment with God, 
because of success and whatever else with Zechariah, that his heart became strong. He was lifted up to his own destruction because instead of living in his true identity, which is the Lord is my strength, Uzziah, the grace of God, it's like, I've got it going on, man. <laughs> I'm strong. I'm a bad dude. I'm awesome. Look at my success. And this is how his heart lifted up to destruction. He transgressed against the Lord as God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Um, this is something that was illegal for him to do. Only the priest could do this in his days. It says, Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord who were valiant men. I love how like a priest can be a, a preacher can be a valiant man, you know. Can you guess why? You know, but it's like, yeah, they weren't like little sissies. Like, yeah, like they were the they were the tough guys too, I guess. I mean, maybe not. Maybe it's just me. Okay, back to the story. So he goes in and he's gonna actually. His heart was lifted up and he, he was confident in his own self to the point where like, he was so successful that he wanted to transgress the laws of God and actually saw himself as taking the place and doing what the priesthood was called to do. He was so presumptuous that he showed up and did it. And he was, I don't know if it was announced or how it went, but they went into the temple, which is a very, very large place. And even the way it was built out in this time was massive. The way Solomon had it, you know, it was really beautiful. And I mean, hundreds of thousands of people could just fit around and it was so big. So this isn't not like our church, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? This is, this is big. I mean, maybe bigger than Green Acres. How about that? You know what I mean? This is a big place, right? So anyway, so Solomon, right? Not Solomon. So Azariah, the priest, he's actually going in in whatever way this is going with his military, with his mighty men. However, he's going into like, I'm taking this job over too. The priest actually came to stood against him. 80 of them rounded up. Let's go. We got to stop him from doing this. It's like, hey, man, like you don't have authority in this sphere just because you're having success. You're having success from the Lord, and now you're thinking it's you, and you're taking it to a place that you don't want, that you don't want to go. So they're actually looking out for the guy. But it says they, with, they withstood the king Uzziah and said to him, it's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense. To the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary. You have trespassed. You, have, you shall have no honor from the Lord. It says, then Uzziah became furious and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. So he was on the way to do it. It says, while he was angry at the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord and beside the incense altar. And Azariah and the chief priests and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead was leprosy, and they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, and he, indeed, he also hurried to get out because he knew it was of the Lord that he was struck. He stepped out of bounds, and he got smacked on. In his, <laughs> he stepped into a realm of authority that was just not his because his heart was so lifted up. It goes on to say, King Uzziah was a leper until, until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then his son took over, and it's like, whoa, that's a, that's a fear of the Lord slash sad slash like yikes type of story that's happening. And you see the contrast, somebody whose identity, whose name literally means the Lord is my strength, who's actually living in his identity, and he's helped as he's actually seeking the Lord. 
he gets to a place of such success that he becomes presumptuous and he tries to take over something that the Lord hasn't called him to. He transgresses and he steps over where his authority is, thinking that he has authority everywhere he goes. He gets so angry when they confront him. But before he has a chance to do anything, boom, you know, his face starts to swell up with leprosy. Which if, you know, some of you people might be younger, maybe leprosy, it's not really around much anymore. It's treatable, but it's, it, it causes your body parts to fall off. You know, to rot off and to fall off. And in those days, they couldn't be around other people. They had to live in leprous colonies and stuff like that. And it's like he ended up having to dwell in an isolated house. He was completely cut off. And um, there's such lessons in that life. And, and to be honest, I've seen it so much in my life. You know, I've seen so many times, even ministerial, the Lord gives success to people. And it can cause, if we're not in that place of fellowship, communion, if we're not in relationship with other people, that can put us in check. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can get so, so isolated into a place that we think that God is just for us. And it's just like, hey man, you know, we can be aligned with God. God is for his people. You know what I mean? There's not a drop of selfishness in this life. It's not about promoting us. It's about the fruit that we bear causes glory to come to our dad. Come to dad and people to be drawn to him. Never losing sight of that. And to the point they'll actually transgress and step over the lanes and the lines of the places of authority God's called them to have. There's people that have, there's several of you have your own businesses and I will never show up in those places and tell you how to do what you do, boss you around. Because I know, one, I'm not the smartest you know, guy in the room, for one, but for two, like it's not my place of authority to actually dictate those types of things in your life. It's something that God's given you that you've worked for, that you have the wisdom of the Lord. I mean, sure, there's a place for counsel and stuff like that, but there's also a place where people get to this place where they, they see their success instead of as glorifying God, of actually glorifying themselves, and then they start to take things that are not theirs, and it almost always results in leprosy. And leprosy is just, to me, it's separation of the body. It's people that they have no fellowship, they have no koinonia, they have no commitment, communion with one another because they see everybody as under them and they exist, exist to serve their vision. And it's a terrible thing. It happens in church sometimes or a lot of times or all the time. And it happens in business, it happens in the world. It's just one of those things that when we have our eyes off ourselves, man, and we understand that our strength actually is the Lord's and it's grace, everything that we've been given, in this Christian walk is, is, is by the grace of God in order to actually build people and lift people up and bless other people. And that's how we advance in the successes of this life. <laughs> you know what I mean? But here you have a king who, whose life is a beautiful lesson. He's part of the cloud of witnesses, I'm sure. And he's probably glad that his brothers and sisters get to learn from his life. Hey, this was my life here when the kingdom was first in my mind and in my heart. When I had fellowship with those who I was called to walk with, the koinonia of 1 John 1, he who walks in the light has fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ cleanses them. We know that we've been forgiven by God. So why is there weird little scriptures like that in like 1 John 1, 7 that says the blood has to cleanse us? It's like every bit of the effects of the fall is reversed as we walk in light and the fellowship, the koinonia, the communion of the body of the Lord. And I don't mean just, oh, community. Community is a, is a catchphrase. It's a catchword. We use it for every business and for every church in the world. You know what I mean? But I don't mean community in the way the world means it. I mean community like a common unity. 
people who are agreed on the reality of our covenant, the selflessness of the gospel, the reality of the grace of God, what he's paid for, and we're actually seeking to build and establish the kingdom everywhere we go. That's what community is. That's what accountability is. We think of accountability as like, have you been watching You've been watching cartoons again, brother? You know, you're not supposed to look at those rated R movies or whatever. We think that's accountability, but accountability is people who are walking according to the new identity of Christian living. And we know one another. We have fellowship. We're in relationship and even submitted to one another in the fear of the Lord. And when somebody's not living up to who they truly are, it's like, hey, I know you. You're the champion. It's not like you're, are you, what are you looking, you know, you know what I mean? Accountability is like holding people to the reality of this new covenant life, to the champions that they are, you know, not to religion, not to works, to the grace of God, but also the wholeness of living and the wholeness of identity that comes through this covenant. And it's no secret that when we look through, and, and I won't do it, but it's one of my favorite to do is Isaiah 6. It's like when we see Isaiah, I believe he was around 20 years old when he had this vision in the year when King Uzziah died. It's the way it's kind of, kind of charted. But it's like when he has this vision and he sees the glory of the Lord come into the temple and, and he tags it with that timestamp, excuse me, in the year when King Uzziah died. It's interesting because it's like, hey, the glory of the Lord, it, Uzzah would be strength and Uzziah would be the strength of the Lord. It's like this person who started off in the strength of the Lord, but then he he died because he stepped into his own strength. When we stopped in the year when King Uzziah died, somebody who went in back into the works of like looking at themselves and the confidence of the flesh, in the year that that was taken out, I saw the glory of the Lord come into the temple. And it filled it. And I saw angels and I saw seraphim, you know, you know, they had six wings. You know, if you, if you read Isaiah 6, it's pretty wild, but it's like they were shouting holy and holy and holy is the Lord of hosts. Interesting, there's three, right, Steve? There's like, you know, they're, they're seeing God calling him holy three times. Um, the whole earth is full of his glory. And it's like, the earth isn't full of his glory. The earth is full of scandal and bad things and this and that. And it's like, hey, like, remember, Zechariah taught Uzziah in the ways of the visions of the Lord. There's a different perspective that we can have and we can see according to the ways of God that actually causes us to be in such a position of rest, not in our own strength, and understanding this covenant that we're walking in, you know, actually having fellowship to another, not being isolated and, and, and elevated above other people like Uzziah kind of got to the place where we're humble. The blood flow is happening. Every bit of the reverse of the fall is being flushed from our literal DNA by walking this covenant out. I wish I could talk to you guys for like 10 hours right now. I know you'd be like, please don't. But I just, there's so much in this, man. And it's just like, um, but there's just so much there he's seeing and like he's having this vision and he's seeing this picture of this, you know, these, these, these multi-face, you know, multi-winged angels and his woe is me for I'm undone. You know, I love that when Isaiah, when Isaiah comes into this vision, he's like, woe is me, I'm lost. He gets caught up into the heavenly throne room and it's just like, I'm lost. <laughs> you know, he's like standing in the back of the room freaking out. I'm not supposed to be here, man. I'm lost. I'm freaking out because he's so self-conscious. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. All this, all this manifestation starts to happen like, oh, this is too much for me. I'm lost. I'm not supposed to be here. Sorry. How did I get here? You know, to which 
The Lord actually speaks and he tells one of those seraphim, go take a coal and touch his mouth real quick. And what does he say? I've touched your lips and you're clean. Your iniquity's taken away, your sin's purged. Like, buddy, I've got you covered. This is the glory of God. This is Jesus, my words. Because of my words, you're already clean. Now abide in me. It's like, no, you don't understand. We like works. The knowledge of good and evil. We like rules and regulations. We like to learn and know that this knowledge of good and evil so how we can become acceptable to you. That's what our whole thing's built on, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, well, about that, you're, you're already clean because of what I've done. So sorry. Your system of religion, it, it doesn't work here. This is heaven. This is heaven on earth. You're, called, you're, you're actually a son, by the way, not a slave or a servant. Like You're actually a son or a daughter. You know, here, my words are in your mouth. Like, you're clean because of my words. You know what I mean? Like, well, what do I do? Then you, you abide. You come into agreement with this reality. You never look at your own self again. It's never in your strength again. Look at Uzziah's life, man. Look at the brilliance of it. When he sought me, when he was connected, when he maintained this connection, when he had the understanding, when we have the understanding that, hey, this isn't about us, but we also have the cheat code, the cheat sheet. We have the, we have the success. We have the success, the one who actually, the architect, the one who threw the stars across from heaven. He walked around in sandals and was humble. And he told people, come to me, everybody who's weary and heavy laden from this religious works. Like, I'll give you rest. You'll find rest because I'm gentle. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. I'm actually gentle and I'm humble. It's like you can't be gentle and you can't be humble because you're, you're the eternal king and God. You created planets and stuff that we can, we're just now starting to see with our telescopes. Like, you, how can you, you can't be that way. How could you be that successful? Because that's my nature. And guess what? I created you in my image. So what does that mean for me? That means you are too. Oh, really? Yeah. There's nothing to fight for. Territorially. You know, ministry numbers. Business. Like, there's, there's nothing, to, there's nothing to, to, to throw dirt on other people for. You know what I mean? Freely you've received and freely give. Like this is me. This is you. Nobody can take anything that I've given to you. You know? You want to grow? You want to thrive? Let the rivers of water flow from you. Don't hold them back to hoard them. Like let them go. Let them go and then you'll have more. Well, how will I have more if I have them let it go? Like, I know it doesn't make sense to you in your mind, but your mind has fallen. You know? But abide in me. Learn to walk this way. Learn to see this way. This is the way of life. You know? He's just like, he's rewiring the fallen mindset of Adam. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you're already clean. John 15. I'll never stop saying that. You know, I read that last night. You know, if, think about Christianity, man. We read the same book every single day. Many of us. Every single day. Have you ever, do you, do you know any Star Wars people that watch Star Wars every day? You'd be like, get a life. Every day? I mean, it's good, but Jake's like, come on now, don't talk about that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but they watch the Lord of the Rings every day? And we read the same thing every day, and new stuff comes out. I studied this. I've got degrees in this thing. Multiple. That's not a bragging thing. It's like, but I read things like this, you're already clean, last night, and it's like, I, that's the first time I read it. I had a message, and Nicole's like, how's it going? I was like, well, I got a message, but man, I got to do this abide message. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, because I want to do this. I did a little bit anyways, you know what I mean? But it's just like one of those things. Like, hey, you're already clean because of the words. So now listen, abide in me. And that, that reality, there's so much rest in it. It's actually somewhat scandalous. But the gospel is this way. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5. It's like, no, no, we've got to try not to walk in the flesh. It's like, no, you don't even have to try not to do those lusts of the flesh. You just got to walk in the Spirit and then you won't. It's like, abide in me. It's like, but, but I got to do some work, man. I got to earn something, don't I? Just have a push-up competition or something. See how many of those you can do. Compete against that. I don't know, because, but, but in this life, it isn't here. It's not there. So there's nothing left except for us to actually to agree. Abide in me and I in you. And you'll bear much fruit. If you don't, you won't. But if you do, your dad will be glorified in heaven. These words are in red. This is who we're called to be. It's so simple. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays his life down for his friends. It's like, you don't understand. You got the eternal, the king of eternity talking about these friends that are these dirty fishermen. Talking about us too, you know? It's this brilliant humility that is our king. It's, it's the exact opposite of the mentality that Uzziah ended up going into. The key word, I think, is, is abide for the day. Dwell, connection. To abide means to remain. One definition, I would say, of abide actually literally means to live, but it's, it's like living in agreement with everything that Jesus has done. And we talk about taking every thought captive, you know, 2 Corinthians 10, it's like every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, we submit it to who Jesus is. Like, that's what this is. It's like living in agreement, not only to the Bible, yes, but also to the covenant which the Bible is preaching to us, the new identity. That is the Lord's strength. Another aspect of abiding is literally just the fruit we manifest is evidence of where we're abiding. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kind of goodness, you know, thankfulness. All these things, these, the, the nine fruits of the Spirit, and there's probably more, you know, descriptions, but I mean, in the nine there, it's like, this is the evidence that we're abiding in Him. When we get out of these things, impatience, you know what I'm saying? We get out of these things of anger and these things we understand. It's like, hey, there's something... There's an aspect of me that's not coming into agreement and I can actually just have a change of mind and come into agreement with him. And it's the rewiring of our mind. Abide. The next one is body. Fellowship. That's the fellowship. I've never seen people grow the way I have those who are committed to the true fellowship of believers. I've never seen it. I'm not talking about church attendance. I support those. I support that, obviously. But... Um, I'm talking about people who walk in true fellowship, koinonia, they walk in light. That first John 1, 7, he who walks in light has fellowship, has koinonia. There's accountability, there's relational connection, and the blood of Christ cleanses them. It's like, yeah, well, we know the covenant, he's our shepherd. It's like, no, but it cleanses them. It's like the very effects, every last effect of the DNA altering of the fall itself becomes purged through walking with those in that true light and accountability. I've, I've never seen anything like it. I had so many friends. I've been a pastor for so long, even over 10 years ago. I've, I'm still in contact sometimes with people I've pastored in, in churches past before. I, you know, and it's like I've, I've, I've seen people come to that place like where, they're, where they're disconnected in life. And their life kind of derails. You know? And then they come back and they're just like, man, what I miss the most in my life is the true fellowship of a relational walk that accountability, that connection to the Lord and to his body, that what real community means, communion, community, like 
common unity of pursuing something because the kingdom is advancing and is being established in the earth and every single believer is called to be a part of it. That's not a pitch to sign up for the Hoff, by the way. I mean, I fully believe in this place, but it's a, you know, I, I think I looked this week on our podcast, we had, yeah, we have a lot of people in Texas, a whole lot of people, hundreds, but maybe you're around here, maybe you're not, so I'm not trying to get you indoors necessarily. We, we had, I think we had over 15 states this week. So there's people from states that listen to these messages. They're like our home church, you know what I mean? But it's just like even for you people, you don't even have to be here. It's not like I have a dog in the fight necessarily. Is that, is that controversial to say dog in the fight? But um, is that, you know, politically incorrect? It's okay. Let the dogs fight. Michael Vick. Um, but it's like, you know, it, what I am saying is, is that we, growth happens you know, like as a Christian, you're called to walk with people. You know what I mean? And it's as simple as asking the Lord, like, where is this? Who, where am I called to walk with? It's like, well, who, who's walking in what you want to walk in? You know what I mean? Where is it you're being fed? This is, this is over the rest of the world. It's like everybody's called to have it in their life. And it causes growth. You know, the building of the Lord is a verb. It's not a, it's not a noun. It's not a place necessarily. It's a verb. It's an action. It's, an, it's something that's, that's happening that we're all called to do, and it causes us to come alive. That's abiding. Walking in fellowship and in light. My last little bit of notes, I'll just close with this. You know, sometimes I write a note, sometimes it doesn't even make sense to me. So let me just look at it. The point. He sought the doors of the days. The Lord in the days of Zechariah, we got that. Interesting to note that his success seemed to coincide with this man's life. We saw that. Sounds like he had a relationship that sharpened him and pointed him to the Lord. Yeah, I think we get that. The reality is we're called to live this life and have fruit that remains. And we're called to remain in it, not just one day a week, you know. We're called to live this life. We're called to, it'll probably cut, but from, you know, that, that Ecclesiastes 11 verse that we started with that Steve kind of spurred me on with, you know, to sow seeds of life and light in every season and every time of the day, never judging necessarily the return. We sow because we give because we have it to give. Because we've tapped into the untappable source. In the morning sow your seed, Ecclesiastes 11.6. And in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Always sow. Always seek to give life. I, I, I firmly believe we are transforming and we will transform the city we've been called to here. And we're called to be a body of people. We connect, we fellowship, we walk in this light. We champion each other on in every sphere of life that we're in. But we never look at any person or relationship or situation as insignificant in, every, in any time of the day that we're in. Because we never know. And that might never benefit you or this city. Even. It might be a traveler, you know, who knows. But, but I want to create a posture of the release of the kingdom of heaven that all of our people are known by. We're constantly sowing. We're constantly releasing heaven on earth. And um, that's what we're called to. So, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that your word is true and that you are our strength. We thank you for this scandalous thing
this gospel, this new covenant, this grace that you've given to us, that's by your strength we do everything. That we can actually rest, abide, live our lives in you and bear more fruit than we ever thought possible. I ask that the reality of your word would continue to jump off of its pages to all of us as we seek your kingdom and your manifestations in this, in this land and in this place. And as we have simple communion and fellowship with you. Thank you for opening that door for us.